everybody. If you're listening to this, this is the last recording. So Thursdays and Fridays recordings for week five for our read aloud on Restart. Uh, today I'm switching over and using a program called Anchor, the one that we played around with a bit in class to record some practice podcast episodes. I'm going to be attempting to use this for the next little bit uh, to record our online read-alouds because um, I'm planning to do some fancy things that you're going to learn about soon with Anchor as well. And that way you also don't have to see me. You can just listen to the audio recording whenever you like, assuming this uploads to Classroom just purely as an MP4 audio file. So hopefully this works for me. Um, we left off last time in Chapter 7 with Shoshana Weber, and she's talking with her brother about how Chase is changing but she doesn't mention how he has joined the uh, the video club that he's joined and how he's be quickly becoming friends with some of the members of the video club. So we're going to find out a little bit more about that as Chase takes over for Chapter 8. It's a quick chapter. Then Chapter 9, he's our narrator as well. And then after that, we're introduced to a new character. So for today's recording, I'm going to try to do both Thursday and Friday from last week and one. Last week just kind of got away from me. Everything got really, really busy, as I'm sure it is happening in your lives too. Um, so this is a bit of a backdating before we get into this week's stuff. So like I said, assuming this uploads to Anchor, I'm going to keep um, shooting these as podcasts and just not putting them on Google Play because that would I'm assuming that would be copyright infringement to take to make real episodes, put it in a real podcast and put it online because I can't be reading and creating audiobooks um, on Google Play. That's definitely illegal, so I won't be doing that. Uh, this is Chapter 8, Chase Ambrose. The Hiawassee Middle School Hurricanes play a preseason scrimmage against East Norwich on Saturday. I make a point to be there, not as a player, but as a member of the video club. Miss DeLeo put me in charge of the athletics for the video yearbook, so the game is a, as good a place to start as any. As I climb the bleachers, the flip cam is an awkward weight in my hand. I don't feel like a video club kid. Not that I can recall being any kind of kid. This is supposed to be the site of my greatest glories, yet I've lost all that. The sight of the players on the field doesn't bring back a rush of gridiron memories. I guess I always pictured vast crowds cheering my name, but there isn't much turnout for the scrimmage. Maybe a couple of dozen kids and a handful of other people scattered around the stands. I raise the camera and shoot for a couple of plays. Shoot a couple of plays, excuse me. Brendan said... I was a natural filming how to clean your tricycle. That was easy, though. That stunt at the car wash was the craziest, funniest, most bizarre thing I've ever seen. I honestly couldn't look away. And since I was watching through the camera viewfinder, I captured the insanity from start to finish. It would be wrong to say I had the time of my life, since I can't speak for the life I had before the accident. But it was more than enough for Brendan to convince me that Video Club was the place for me. A foghorn voice, fo foghorn voice, excuse me, drowns out the PA announcement, broadcasting over the loudspeaker. Champ, over here! It's my dad, sitting in the fourth row with Helene. I never miss a game, he exclaims, assuring me that he was there on the 50-yard line, week in and week out, all through the 28-year gap between his state championship and my own. Helene's turning into a real fan, too. I'm not sure if it's Helene or Helen. I probably should call her Helen. I think it's Helen, um, which is also kind of strange that he's been there for 28 years. My half-sister has set up an impressive array of dollhouse furniture on the metal bleachers and is playing with a couple Barbies. As far as I've seen, she hasn't looked in the direction of the field once. 
For such a big Hurricanes fan, Dad sure doesn't seem to have any fun watching them play. The longer we sit, the darker his mood gets, blackening and lowering until it hangs over him like a line of thunderheads. Did you see that? He complains. The left guard is supposed to cut block on that play. Otherwise, there's no hole for the running back. Or, our quarterback doesn't see the field. He had a man wide open in the end zone. Or, what kind of tackling is that? Did you use a tack? Did you used to tackle like that? I never used to tackle like that. I don't remember anything about playing football, I tell him. Honestly, zooming in tight on the huddle. So I have no idea how I used to tackle. Yeah, well, it was a lot better than that, he snorts. Used to wrap up your man and bring him down properly. By this time, the Hurricanes are on the wrong end of a 24-7 score. It's funny, I've gotten everything about my own football career, but I know the game it's I've forgotten everything about my own football career, but I know the game itself. When I shoot footage of the action on the field, I get what the players are doing, or at least trying to do. Either East Norwich is all universe, or this year's Hiawassee Hurricanes aren't a team of destiny. I have no idea how good I am, but it's hard to believe that one person could make up the difference between these stumble bums and last year's state champions. We're out of sync, I observe. The O-line is opening up some good holes, but the backs are never in the right place to run them through. Exactly! Dad slaps me too hard on the bad shoulder. That's what I always say. We've got the talent, or at least we do when you're on the field anyway. All we need is the timing. I'm sure it isn't the first time my father and I have ever agreed on something, but it's the first time I actually remember. That's another amnesia, another thing amnesia made me forget, how much I like his approval. Helen had dismantled her Barbie condo on the bleachers and is bored out of her mind. Daddy, can we leave? Not yet, honey. Dad doesn't even glance away from the field. It's still the third quarter. I point the flip cam at her. Why don't you set up the furniture again? We can make a movie about your dolls. She curls her lip at me. They're Barbies. Barbie can be a movie star, I offer. As she places the plastic chairs and tables with great care, quarterback Joey Petronas throws an interception that East Norwich runs back for yet another touchdown. That, go that does it for Dad. He goes off in a diatribe against the players, the coaches, and even the guys who make the chalk lines on the field. I'm not immune either. He finishes He finishes with, What are you doing with that camera anyway? You should be in the game, not taking pictures of it. I know you don't remember how good you are, but I promise you, you are that good. I start to tell him I'm only here to cover the team for the video yearbook, but something makes me swallow the words before they hit air. I understand on a gut level that isn't what Dad wants to hear. Instead, I find myself saying, I want to get back to the field. As soon as the doctor gives me the okay, you'll see. I'll be out there. Dad nods, pleased. That's who we are, champ. We're the Ambrose men. We're the doers. Other people take pictures of us. Helen acts out the entire storyline with her Barbies. I capture it on video, and while keeping up a running game commentary with Dad, who doesn't seem to be a Barbie guy, Surprise, surprise. When I play my footage back to Helen on the tiny screen, she squeals with delight. And there, sitting on the bleachers in front of a bad football game, it happens. I remember. I mean, there's nothing wrong with my ability to remember. I remember everything that's happened since I woke up in the hospital. But before the accident, 
except for that weird image of the girl in blue. Nothing. Until now. It's a flashback of Helen. She's probably what triggered it, because in my memory, she's squealing just like she is now. Wait, no. It isn't a happy sound. Her cheeks are red, her face twisted, and she's about to bawl. In my memory, she's holding a stuffed teddy, her favorite toy. I remember that too. Actually, I've got the bear in my left hand, and it's my he- and its head in my right. I ripped the head off a four-year-old's teddy bear? Definitely not the memory I'd been hoping for. But still, I remembered something, I exclaim out loud. Yeah, what? Dad actually turns his attention from the game. Something from before the accident. See? He's triumphant. I told you there's nothing wrong with you. You'll be back in commission in no time. And man, do we ever need you out there. On the field, our halfback takes a handoff and is buried un- buried excuse me, under a pile of East Norwich jerseys. Dad's looking away, so he misses it. A tiny gap in the weak side of the defensive line. Our guy could have hit that. I would have hit that. A stutter step to the left. That's what I would have done. Juke out the linebacker and gone. My shoulders shimmy as I as the imaginary cuts in my head. I see it now. I was a player. Correction, I am a player. And as I picture it, the image of the headless teddy bear starts to fade. After all, it's just a stuffed toy. Helen is perfectly happy now. No harm, no foul. I bet she's forgotten it ever happened. I doubt that's true. Chapter 9, Chase Ambrose. After the scrimmage, I head down to the locker room to get some player interviews. I arrive just in time to see Aaron slamming the heavy metal door into Hugo's face. He staggers backwards straight into me and lets out a whoop of shock. Take it easy, Hugo, I tell him. It's just me. Hi, Chase, he manages, his voice flattering. I'm trying to shoot some footage of the team. He hefts his own own flip cam. I thought Miss DeLeo put me on that, I tell him. Oh, sure, totally, he says quickly. We're just afraid... You might, you know, forget? What do you mean, forget? I ask, a little annoyed. He retreats a step, blushing and looking plenty worried. Uh, no, no offense, he stammers. Before I can reply, the door opens and there's Bear. I told you it was his voice, he shouts. He hauls me inside, shutting Hugo out again. Hugo's with me, I protest. Ha, good one, Bear laughs. Seriously, we're covering the hurricanes for the video yearbook. So Hugo gets in with me. He's grateful, but he doesn't make him very happy. He acts like he's tiptoeing around a minefield. I get some high fives, but the team's not in the best spirits. After all, they just got steamrolled. And when it sinks in, I'm there as a reporter, and not to give them the good news that I've been declared to play. They can't hide their disappointment. Well, I can't see anything wrong with you, Joey complains. You're not even in that sling anymore. I get it. Joey laid an egg at quarterback today. A good running game would take a lot of pressure off him. It's the concussion, I try to explain. The doctor wants me to be really careful. Landon Rubio, the kid with the giant neck I saw on the first day, glances dubiously from Hugo to me. So you have to miss a few games, but what gives with him? Hugo attempts to point his to his camera and is beaten back by a hail of dirty sweat socks. I bristle. The video yearbook is doing a segment on every sports team, including golf and badminton. So when you're not in it, don't come crying to us. Yearbook, Joey echoes. Bad enough you're off the team. Now you're on the yearbook staff? Video yearbook, Hugo amends. A snapping towel nearly takes his ear off. Guys, chill out. 
Aaron snaps between the other players and Hugo and me. It isn't our boy's fault his doctor's a wuss. Cut him some slack. That doesn't explain why he's running around with the video losers, Landon challenges. He's not running around with anybody, Aaron explains reasonably. He's covering the hurricanes, man, making sure we get we look good on that yearbook thing. That's how he's helping the team while he's on the sidelines. Yeah, Rubio, snorts Bear. And if I had a face like yours, I'd appreciate anyone who could make me look good. So shut up. I jump in as a peacemaker. Believe me, guys, I'll be back as soon as I get the word from my doctor. This makes the team happy. I can tell. Hugo shoots me a strange look, but how can I expect him to understand? He doesn't strike me as the kind of kid who plays sports, except maybe in video games. Joey chucks a ball my way. I watch, almost as a spectator. My hands reach out and snatch it from the air. Reaction time. A-OK. It feels good, like I'm back to my old self. My old self amnesia couldn't quite rob me of. We do a few interviews. The guys are chatty with me, hamming it up for the camera like I'm running a selfie service. Hugo gets mostly one-word answers. When I notice, he mumbles that we can fix in editing. I don't know how any amount of editing can fix. Question. What are your thoughts for the upcoming season? A. Answer. Good. Then again, I'm just the newbie nobody even trusts to show up for the first video club assignment. When we're done, Hugo can't get out of there fast enough. This is hostile territory for him. But me? I feel like I'm home. Well, I'd love to talk your ear off about my road to NFL glory, Aaron drawls. But Bear and I have to go water some old people. Wait, I'm going with you, I tell them. They stare at me like I've just announced that I'm flying to Jupiter. Dude, you don't have to go, Aaron reminds me. They cut you loose because you got hurt. It'll be fun. That falls flat, so I try again. We're teammates, remember? You go, I go. Bear's eyes narrow. Exactly how much do you remember about the Greybeard Motel? Nothing, I reply honestly. He grins. If you want to go there when you don't have to, you didn't just scramble your brains. You knocked them out completely. Come on, how bad can it be? I'm semi-joking, but those two are so stone-faced I start to wonder. Yikes, what is this place? Frankenstein's lab? Your call, Aaron says. It'll be good to have you back with us, even if you're nuts. The Portland Street Assisted Living Residence is about a 10-minute walk from school. I know I was on community service here before, but the place is brand new to me. It's a boring three-story building with a, five, a wide circular drive, and a broad landscape front door dotted with benches and outdoor picnic tables. There are several elderly people outside enjoying the warm weather. A couple of them wave and call out greetings to us. I wave back. Aaron and Bear ignore them. As the main door slides open in front of us, Bear mumbles, hold your breath. It's an old, odd combination of two smells that just don't mix. Fresh flowers and hospital-like antiseptic. Not great, but you get used to it in a hurry. We report to Nurse Duncan, who's the head nurse on duty. She's surprised to see me. I got better, I tell her, so I figured I should finish off my community service. The court told you that? She asked dubiously. I shake my head. I came up with it on my own. We don't believe it either, Aaron jokes with a mock, with, with mock solemnly. That's very noble, Nurse Duncan says. Well, I've got you boys on the snack cart today. It doesn't normally take three, but we'll give Chase a soft job on his first day back. 
We get a rolling cart laden with juice boxes, cookies, crackers, and free newspapers. By the time we get off the elevator on the third floor, Aaron and Bear have helped themselves to half the merchandise. Believe me, they have more Oreos than these mummies could ever gum down, Aaron says when I look disapproving. And I assure you, oh, the perfect one. You've sampled plenty of cookies off of this cart. I reach back for a snack-jacking memory, but come up empty. I'll have to take his word for it. Bear tears open a bag and dumps a small pile of ginger snaps into my hand. I take a tiny bite, glaring at my partners in crime, who are chowing down in a blizzard of wrappers and crumbs. We played a football game this morning, Bear reminds me. You woke up and you woke work up an appetite. Not everybody's too delicate like you. I'm guess I'm guessing I'm not too delicate to bend over and pick up your garbage, I snap back. I might be getting the hang of being friends with these two. We go door to door, offering the residents snacks and papers. When I was in the hospital, all the staff and volunteers who came into my room were really nice and friendly. Well, Aaron and Bear were the opposite of that. Aaron's the polite one. He flings the door open wide and barks, Snack cart! This is followed by a, What do you want? from Bear. They call the man Dumbledore. They call all the men Dumbledore and all the women Dumbledorea. Dumbledora, sorry, and respond with any question to any questions with a combination of shrugs and grunts. When I can't stand it anymore, I ask what I can do for everybody, and usually end up adjusting bed heights, searching for lost TV remotes, and occasionally calling nurses. You're slowing us down, man, Aaron complains. At this rate, we'll never blow this gerital stand. Quiet, I hiss. They can hear you. You're joking, right? Bear sneers. Most of these old fossils can't remember to change the batteries in their hearing aids. The last thing any of them heard was A-bomb test a yucca flat. They're not as deaf as you think, I shoot back. The lady in 212 definitely heard it when you ripped her one in the living room. Aaron laughs. Now that's the chase we know and love. These jokes, aren't, these jokes are funny when there's three of us, not so much when the old people are around. Most of them are pretty flail, frail, excuse me, flail. They definitely deserve more respect than they're getting from us. Maybe Aaron and Bear ran out of patience because they've got no choice about community service, and I'm here on purpose. Maybe it was out of patience, too. Maybe I was out of patience, too, before my amnesia made me forget it. But I find the residents kind of interesting. They remember stuff in real life that you can only read about in history books. There's a lady in 326 whose father was the fi one of the firemen on the scenes of the Hindenburg disaster. The guy in 318 was a communication expert at Hiawassee Mission Control when Neil Armstrong first set foot on the moon. In room 209 lives a guy who's totally blind, yet tells some of the most vivid stories of growing up two doors down from Baseball Hall of Famer Joe DiMaggio. The rule is that if someone is, is not in or sleeping, we leave a juice box and a packet of cookies on the table. The man in 121 is snorting enthusiastically in an easy chair when I notice the black and white photo on his nightstand. There's a picture of a young soldier bowing his head to receive military decoration from an important-looking man with round steel spectacles. Is that President Truman? Oh, sorry, I should say it again. Is that President Truman? I whisper. Aaron looks bored. Who cares? Let's get out of here. If this Dumbledore wakes up, he'll talk your ear off. But I'm hooked. The only medal you get straight from the president is the Medal of Honor. This guy's a hero. Big deal, Bear scoffs. Back in the day, there were so many wars, they handed out medals like Hershey's Kisses. I sigh and start to follow them out the door. I wonder what he did. 
they don't give out the Medal of Honor for just any old thing. Probably slew a, slew a triteris, Triceratops or something, Aaron suggests with a shrug. Come on, we're almost done. It was a pterodactyl. Pterodactyl, excuse me. Comes a sarcastic voice from behind us. We wheel around. He's sitting up now, an elderly man, a little bent at the shoulders with a shock of white hair. And I slew it with my stone knife. I step forward. Mister, what's in the... Mister, that's you in the picture, right? No, it's Harry Truman. Can't you see I'm busy? It takes me a half an hour to get out of bed and twice that to haul myself across the room with this stupid walker. He's obviously not busy. He just wants to be left alone. Maybe he doesn't like us very much. Apparently, not all the residents are hard of hearing. Aaron and Bear are already slouching out of the room. Sorry, I mumble, and then follow them into the hall. You've got a lot to learn, Ambrose, Aaron tells me. Get one of those Dumbledores talking about his war days, and you'll be here until you're as old as he is. I have to admit, it's probably good advice. All right, I say, let's just finish. We work our way down the hall to the last room on the floor. Almost done, Aaron groans. Just cloud ten and we can get out of here. Cloud ten, I echo. You're going to love this one, Bear assures me. You know cloud nine? Well, this old bag's at least one cloud up from that. Half the time, she's convinced that some fancy hotel, that she's at some fancy hotel, and we're the room service. I see their point, but I feel kind of bad for Miss Swanson, who bustles around her living room in a frilly pink dressing gown dotted with, se with sequented flowers. Excuse me. She's obviously losing touch with reality, and there's nothing hilarious about that. At first, she thinks we've come for a visit, and then she asks us to move the furniture into what she calls conversation grouping. Aaron and Bear ignore her, but what harm will it do, really? So I shuffle a few chairs, no big deal. My friends are mugging at me behind her back the whole time, trying to make me laugh. They might be the smart ones. By the time I'm finished, sweaty and breathing hard, Miss Swanson is looking at me like she's too polite to ask who I am and why I'm rearranging her apartment. Aaron and Bear are snickering out loud now. We drop off her cookies and juice and head for the door, but she comes bustling after us, waving her pocketbook. She digs around, comes up with a $20 bill, and offers it to me. Don't leave without your tip, she says. I take a step back. Oh, no, no, I, I can't accept. Before I can manage another word, Bear's meaty hand snatches the money away. Enjoy your stay, he tells Miss Swanson with a big phony smile, and he's out the door like a shot. Aaron hot on his heels. I catch up to them in the hall. You can't take that money. That's like stealing. No, it's not, Bear replies. She gave it to me. Actually, she gave it to you, but you were too dumb to take it. Yeah, but... I fumble for the right words. You know as well as I do, that lady's not all there. That's discrimination, he said rightly. I'm not biased against dizzy old bats who haven't got a clue what the deal is. They can give me money just like everybody else. You don't know her. She would have gotten really upset if we hadn't taken it. She wants to believe what she believes. We're not here for kicks, you know, I insist. We got sent here by a judge. If we got caught accepting money from the residents, we could get a lot more than community service. Bear rounds on me for a rounds on me in genuine amazement. You don't even have to be here, man. You made us bring you. I'm stubborn. Give me give the money back. Aaron tries to be reasonable. The museum pieces in this dump, 
They'd forget their own shaggy butts if they weren't attached. By the time the door closed behind us, I guarantee Cloud 10 forgot we were ever there. If we go to her and try to straighten this out, it'll be like showing how crazy she is. Do you want to be responsible for that? I know she's, she's, he's snowing me, but he's also kind of right. I doubt we could explain to Miss Swanson that she just tripped the, tipped the community service guys. But even if we could, she'd be embarrassed and upset and probably more confused than before. We should give that money to charity, I mumble. Done, Bear agrees. I'm going to, I'm going to my favorite charity, the Take a Bear to Lunch Fund. Who's up for pizza? We all laugh, but I'm laughing a lot less than the other two. The whole thing leaves a sour taste in my mouth, and pizza is the last thing I'm thinking about. We stop in to see Nurse Duncan so Aaron and Bear can get their timesheets signed. I'm not technically on community service anymore, so there's no timesheet for me. Then we're heading to the pizza place like nothing ever happened. I keep looking at Bear, accepting, expecting to see the 20 glowing orange see the 20 glowing orange and burning through the pocket of his jeans. I can't explain it, but the more they goof around, tripping and shoving each other, the less appetite I have for lunch. You okay, Ambrose? Aaron tosses, tosses at me in concern. You don't look so hot. Uh, I'll catch up with you guys later. I pound back the in the direction of Portland Street. I hang a left and sprint up to the assisted living residence then dash in the sliding door and straight to room 100. I pull a fistful of crumpled bills from my pocket and fish out for a 20. Aaron's right. I'd never be able to explain to Miss Swanson why I'm giving back her money for what she could only see as no reason. No, my plan is simpler than that. I'll slip it right under her door. When she notices it, she'll just assume she dropped it. As I squat down and pass the bill through the gap between the door and the carpet, it occurs to me that if anybody sees me, it'll look like I'm the one doing something sleazy, not the one making it right. Luck is with me, though. I'm able to return the 20 unobserved. No, not return, I remind myself. I'm out 20 bucks in this deal. I feel a little resentful when I picture Aaron and Bear feasting on pizza that I'm essentially paying for, but it's a small price tag for being able to sleep at night. As I make my way out again, I pause in front of 121, the Medal of Honor guy's room. I squint at the small plaque on the wall, Mr. Julius Soloway. The door is open a crack, and I catch a glimpse of Mr. Soloway shrugging across the room on his walker. Suddenly, a baleful eye is glaring at me through the opening. You're back, Mr. Soloway's raspy voice growls from inside. What do you want now? My instinct is to flee, but curiosity gets the better of me. Where am I here? Which war was it? I asked the old man. You know, you want the one where you won the medal. The Trojan War, he barks. Remember Achilles? I was the one who got him right in the heel. It stings, but I say, I didn't mean to disturb you. And I start away. Korea, he calls after my retreating back. 1952. I turn. It's an honor to meet you, Mr. Soloway. You must have done something really heroic. Everyone did, he replies gruffly. A lot of brave men, brave men are still buried there. They're the heroes. I'm just the one they picked to hang a bobble on. I can't help asking. What did you do? To earn the medal, I mean. I can still only see one eye, but it's impossible to miss the flash of impatience. I stood on my head and spit nickels. 
Listen, smart guy, when you get to be my age, you won't always remember the details of every single event of your life, but I don't expect a young little punk like you to understand that. He closes the door. Old people are supposed to have wisdom, but Mr. Solway is definitely wrong about me. I've already forgotten more than he'll ever know. And that's the end of chapter nine. We're going to start up with Kimberly Tooley in our next recording. Thank you very much for listening, everybody, and have a great Monday. Bye now.